Happy Easter, church. Good to see you this morning on Easter Sunday. And it's finally stopped raining, and the sun is out, and uh, we are so thankful you have joined us for worship today, and uh, we are excited to celebrate a risen Savior. What an awesome day of worship. What a powerful uh, time of, of just lifting our voices and uh, adoration to the one who died on the cross. And, you know, as crazy as the events of this week, every single Every single detail was orchestrated exactly as God intended. As Jesus Christ would lay down his life and offer his, his body as our sacrifice to be our Lord and our Savior. This morning, as we're going to be in Mark chapter 16. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 16, the very last chapter in the book of Mark. We have been studying through the book of Mark for over a year, obviously with Christmas and other times mixed in there. We are ending in Mark chapter 16 today, which it is the, the, the culmination of what Jesus came to accomplish. He, he died last Sunday. We talked about his death, his burial, and today we study and learn about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he is alive. He's alive. One, my question is for you, do you believe him? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you believe he died on the cross for your sin? Mark is an action-packed gospel. In fact, he covers more miracles per chapter than any of the other uh, four gospels. Uh, but it's exciting to know that he culminates with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to dive right into our text this morning for sake of time. Mark chapter 16, beginning of verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Church, don't miss this phrase. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Verse 9 says, When he had arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive, he had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them. They were walking in the country, and they went back and told the rest, and, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked them, and, and uh, rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany uh, those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, and they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. They went out and preached everywhere, 
while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Let's go to Lord in prayer as we begin our time of worship this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a privilege we have to open your word. And Lord, it's, it's alive. In fact, your word is, is very much alive this morning as we study about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you did not stay dead. Thank you that you were willing to uh, fulfill your Father's plan in coming to earth and dying for our sin, making possible a right relationship with Jesus. Lord, this morning we we believe that you are alive, you have risen from the grave. But God, I pray that this morning if there's anyone here that's listening in person Lord, in a a building that's absolutely filled this morning, or if they're listening online or will be listening in the coming days online, Lord, that does not have a personal relationship with you, that this morning will be that moment of decision. God, that your Holy Spirit would draw draw you to themselves, Lord, and they would confess their sin and place their faith and trust in you for salvation. Lord, thank you for the cross. Lord, what it means, what it symbolizes this morning, but thank you for the resurrection and what you've accomplished for our freedom, for our forgiveness of sin. God, would you work in hearts and lives and transform lives this morning, we pray. All of God's people said, amen. Oftentimes you hear messages on the resurrection, and as we were studying through the book of Mark, it was a, a natural ending to the book as we wrap up in chapter 16 today. Because of the empty tomb... Uh, we celebrate a risen Savior. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. In fact, every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Not just on Easter, not just on the day we celebrate the, the, the resurrection, but every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for the believer. The title of the message this morning is, He's Alive. Do you believe Him? Do you, do you have a personal relationship with Him? The angel announced He's Alive. This morning, as we look at the Word of God, the angel made the announcement. Once again, we admire the women who followed Jesus. They were there at the cross as Jesus took his final breath. They were there in the garden as Joseph and Nicodemus placed Jesus' body in the tomb. And early on Sunday morning, they were the first ones heading back to the tomb. They were carrying additional spices to anoint the body of Jesus. And they were the biggest, their biggest concern is how are we going to move that giant stone that's been rolled in front of the tomb? How are we going to even get to where the body is? They were totally surprised when they arrived and found the stone had already been rolled, rolled away. These brave women went into the tomb. But folks, Jesus wasn't there. Whew. They met a young man dressed in all white. And the description is like that of what the Bible talks about when an angel appeared to people. And of course, these women were confused. They were terrified. The angel says, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He isn't here. He is risen. The angel gave them two sets of instructions. And folks, those are the same instructions that we're given today. He said, come and see. He invited them to examine. says, come into the tomb. I want you to see the, the empty grave. I want you to see the empty grave clothes that are laying there. But it was full of significance. It was empty. In John's account, we see the strips of cloth that were, that were laying there that had covered the body of Jesus. Along with the sheet that covered his body. These women were wondering, is this a dream? Is this a nightmare? They had seen the torture, the crucifixion, the death, 
the burial of Jesus. They, Jesus, they watched as his, as his uh, was taken off the cross, as he was placed in the tomb. They knew he was dead. But this morning, on Easter Sunday morning, they're confronted with an empty tomb. Picture the empty tomb. And I had the privilege of going inside this about four years ago as we were in the, the city of Jerusalem. And, and I'll never forget the day that we went to the empty tomb. I stood there and no picture does it justice. No picture begins to capture the, the feeling of, uh, of overwhelm, of humbleness, of, uh, of what Jesus Christ accomplished like standing in the empty tomb and seeing the, the, where our Christ laid and, and knowing that he had died for my sins. And there wasn't a lot of talk. In fact, around this area, you really didn't hear anyone talking. There was some tears being shed. There were, there were, those of us were crying. But folks, it was just an overwhelmness of what Jesus has accomplished. And seeing the place where he was buried, I can tell you with confidence this morning, he is alive. He is risen from the grave. And, and folks, he's alive. I've seen the empty tomb with my own eyes. And I'm telling you from a firsthand account, I've been there. I've seen it. Uh, to know that the death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him, he is risen from the grave. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He said, come and see. But the angel also said, go and tell. He gave them a, 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 an, a, an action point. They were supposed to not only just come and see it with their own eyes, experience it, but they said, you have something to do after this to go and tell the good news that Jesus has risen from the grave. The angel told the women to go and tell the disciples that Jesus was alive. He would meet them in Galilee. However, Notice the reaction in verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone for they were, the word of God says, afraid. How do we respond when Jesus speaks to us? Sometimes even today, over 2,000 years later, God will speak to us and he gives us something he wants us to do and to accomplish and we keep our mouth shut. We're supposed to go and be witnesses and share the, the good news of the gospel. And, and we, we keep our mouth shut. And he says, go and tell the masses and to the ends of the earth. And, and we stay silent. We keep it to ourselves. And I can't really blame them. They were in shock. A, a, a little while later, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And she delivered the message to the disciples. We've been given the same command to go and tell. The world that Jesus is alive. In fact, that's our vision statement is declaring the name of Jesus in the triangle and in the world. And we're to go and tell others that Jesus Christ is alive. How often have we been guilty of that same initial behavior of these women? Because we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're living in fear of how someone might respond if we share that Jesus is the only way. Folks, if you truly believe Jesus is the only way, you can't keep that silent. We must share the good news. We must warn people that hell is a real place, folks. It's not a fairy tale. It's, it's not a scary movie. And the hell is a very real place, and we've got to warn people. How often we've been guilty of that same behavior. I remember in college taking evangelism class at 
19 years old, and we were told in the class that they were going to share with, teach us different uh, uh, methods of, sh- of sharing their faith, sharing evangelism, and uh, they were from a whole, whole bunch of different methods, and, but they said during the class, we're, you ought to have the opportunity to lead someone to faith in Jesus, and I'll be honest, at 19 years old, I was scared, slammed to death. I had never led a single person to Christ. I was studying to be a, a youth pastor, but I was still terrified of this. And, and they're like, don't worry, because the more you do it, the more you're going to gain confidence, and the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do the work. But this old boy from North Carolina was scared, slammed to death. And I'm sitting here in a massive city in Florida thinking to myself, who in the world am I going to share the gospel with and they're going to get saved? And I remember literally being paralyzed by fear. And, and part of those requirements were you had to be out there faithfully sharing the gospel. And I was nervous. I was scared. I was, I mean, literally, as the, the semester was wearing on, I was thinking to myself, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what. And I remember I, I talked to my roommates and we we're at a Christian college environment. I said, hey, I want you to pray for me. I'm sharing my faith, I'm witnessing, and I'm praying that God gives me an opportunity to lead someone to faith in Jesus. One Saturday afternoon, we were in a park near our school, and I had an opportunity to witness to a young man in the park. That man prayed and invited Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. I won't forget that as long as I live. Folks, it wasn't just an assignment for class. I was helping introduce someone to a personal relationship with Jesus, and he radically transformed their life. And I could not wait. I knew this was before the times of cell phones. I, I, I couldn't call my parents, but I, at that moment, I couldn't wait to get back to my dorm and share with my roommates and, and, and talk to my parents that weekend and share how Jesus had used me to share the good news of Jesus and, and someone placed their faith in Christ. And folks, it should never, it, we should never get comfortable with that. It's something that should always be there, the excitement, the anticipation of what God is going to do. And folks, can I just say, when you're sharing the good news of the gospel, folks, never underestimate Jesus Christ is the one who saves. He's the one that transforms life. I'm thankful because you know what? I could be standing up here this morning paralyzed in fear going, thinking of all the people who I've got to share the story of the resurrection with this morning. I'm going, man, I've got to pray that God get, gets to your heart. He transforms your lives. But folks, I'm not the one that does the saving. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's promised he's going to give us the power. And God says he'll use a shy teenage boy from North Carolina. Folks, he'll use you. Share your personal faith story of what Jesus Christ is doing. As I was studying this passage, it reminded me of what the shepherds were told over just a couple pages over. If you continue over to Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 as they come. And, and, and as the, the angel appeared to the shepherds on the hillside, it says, come and see. Same exact message. Come and see the Christ child who was born. And then they said, go and tell. Go and share the good news that Jesus Christ has been born. Folks, that's the same exact message for those of us that know Christ as our Savior. They left. We're to go and share that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. We see, secondly, the disciples doubted the reports. Of course they did. 
Sometimes as a, uh, as a pastor, I'll, I'll gather my staff around. We'll talk about something in staff meeting, and I, I can see the look on their face. That they're looking around going, shaking their head going, yeah, it's never going to work. <laughs> that is never going to work. And I'm like, I'm telling you, this is what God has told us we're supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to do. And, and you know what? Sometimes never, not everybody agrees at the, at the beginning. But the reality is, is when God gives us his word on a matter, he always comes through. He always performs his perfect plan. So the disciples doubted. They had heard Jesus say, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to rise again from the grave. Three days later, Jesus is alive. The Bible says that Mary didn't believe her. The other women didn't believe her. Mark mentions that later two other people show up claiming that they had seen Jesus alive. In Luke chapter 24, we read the story of Jesus appearing to two disciples who were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a distance of 11 miles. They didn't recognize Jesus. Wouldn't you have loved to have been on that walk to Emmaus? Because the Bible says Jesus started talking through the, the book of uh, Genesis and started talking through the life of Moses and his ministry. And he took them all the way through the New Testament as he would share throughout the Old Testament scriptures the prediction that the Messiah would suffer, he would die, and he would ultimately rise from the grave. When they finally arrived at their house, they invited their companion in to join them for dinner. Jesus, who was the guest became the host because the Bible says that he broke the bread and he opened it and, and when they recognized it was finally they recognized it was Jesus and then the word of God tells us immediately he was he, he took he took off he was he disappeared from their midst they were so excited they turned around and traveled back 11 miles to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples imagine this time they ran this time they were out of breath. This time they couldn't wait to share. We saw the Lord. He's alive. He's alive. He's very much alive. Mary chimed in, I told you so. If you just listen, I've been trying for the last two hours to tell you Jesus is alive. We saw the Lord. He's alive. He saw the disciples. It says the disciples still didn't believe. Of course, Jesus is aware of all this. This is his inner circle. He appeared to him in a room. He rebuked the disciples. He said, where's your faith? I told you I would come back from the grave. And then, here I am. Now, do you believe that I'm the Messiah? I'm sure they backtracked and said, sorry, Lord. Of course we believe. Of course we believe that you were going to rise from the grave. And I think we all learn an important lesson from this passage this morning. The best proof of the resurrection isn't just an empty tomb. The best proof of the resurrection is when we meet Jesus personally. When you're personally introduced to a relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll never be the same. You see, you can go to church and you can hear all the singing and, and you can see, go to a big cathedral and see all of the, the, the stained glass windows or the steeples or the, the spires and all the, the pipe organs and all of the pomp and circumstances and the splendor that we could possibly generate. But folks, none of that takes place of a personal relationship with Jesus. When we meet Jesus, our lives will never be the same. Folks, this morning I've, I've been to the empty tomb, but folks, that's not what I needed to believe in faith, place my faith and trust in Jesus. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. 
I know he's alive this morning. Why? Because I talked to him this morning. He's living in my life. He's living in my, inside of me, and I talk to him daily. What's, when Saul was persecuting the church, he had heard all the claims that Jesus was alive, but he didn't believe him. In fact, he, he approved of Stephen's death. He was active in arresting Christians. But one day on the road to Damascus, he suddenly encountered a personal relationship with Jesus. And that day... Paul believed. Saul became Paul. God radically transformed his heart. He had a close encounter with Jesus. And later he wrote about this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. He said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and I love what he said in verse 8. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul encountered the risen Savior. When Paul met Jesus, his life would be forever changed. And Folks, when we meet Jesus, our lives will be radically changed completely transformed. Jesus is not going to leave you the same as you came. So you'll, you may come as you are to his, to his house and come as you are to worship. But folks, if you truly encounter Jesus, you'll be forever changed. Your life will be forever changed. You need to know him. Salvation isn't just about knowing Jesus, knowing about him. It's about knowing him personally, intimately. We need a personal relationship with Jesus. But then we wrap up this passage this morning. Jesus gave us a job to do. In his final words of Mark's writing, of Mark 16, he packs the Great Commission together and he gives us a promise of protection and the ascension all together. Jesus has given us three tasks to do. He says, tell everyone the good news about me. Tell everyone the good news about me. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Earlier this year, we saw glimpses of revival on the, the cap, campus of Asbury University as students gathered and, and worshipped God around the clock and people were saved and lives were transformed and it began to spread to other colleges and universities as, as people began to experience revival. I love the fact that we are living in one of the fastest growing cities in the nation and folks, God is bringing people, literally the world, to our doorstep. We have an opportunity to declare the name of Jesus. We have the opportunity to see life change take place. And in fact, just a couple weeks ago, we had a number of people baptized here on a Sunday morning. Next Sunday, right here in this very room, we'll have people baptized and taking their next step. People who've just placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Some in the last couple of weeks will go through the baptismal waters and identify publicly as a follower of Jesus. I love seeing life change take place. I love declaring the name of Jesus and seeing people saved. But he also says, I will equip and empower you. Jesus said, you're not going to be out there on this trip all by yourself. You're not on this journey all alone. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus said, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. He says, but stay in the city until you have clothed with power 
from on high. This week, our kids were on spring break from school, and we kind of unplugged for a few days and, and got away to the mountains. And I tell you, driving, driving to the mountains or back from the mountains, I want a full tank of gas because you get to some of those small areas and... I'm telling you, they operate on a different system than they do here. I mean, there are places up there, there's restaurants, you can go in that don't take a credit card. I mean, it's cash only. You better be prepared to pay cash or you're washing dishes. Uh, and you go into some of these towns and, and the gas station may be open or it might be closed. And so I always want to go with a full tank of gas because as I'm driving through a small town, my luck would have it that I'll end up running out of gas on the side of the road. And the same thing is true. He says, before you go out, he told the disciples to wait. He says, I'm going to empower you. Don't go without the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it's frustrating to try to serve the Lord in your own spirit, in your own might. If the disciples had immediately gone out and started sharing, they would have fallen flat on their face. But they prayed for 10 days. And after Jesus ascended, the Word of God tells us in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended upon them. He filled them with the, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And they were empowered and equipped to do the mission that God had called them to. Thousands were saved and added. In fact, over 3,000 were added to the church that day. Folks, the same thing is true this morning. We ought not do a single thing. Every song, every single thing that's done on this campus, even the Easter egg hunt is prayed over, church, before we do it. Why? Because we don't want to do anything in our own accord, our own spirit, our own flesh. We ought to be bathing in prayer. God, I want your spirit to descend upon me. God, fill me, use me, empower me. And he goes on, he says, I'll protect you until you finish the assignment. In Isaiah chapter 43, the prophet says, fear not, I've redeemed you. He says, I've called you by name. You are mine when you pass through the waters. I'll be with you through the rivers. They'll not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Did you catch what Jesus said? In fact, in, in chapter 18 of our text, he talked about poisonous snakes, picking up poisonous snakes and how he would protect them. Now, I'm just going to tell you, this pastor isn't handling any snakes. I mean, if you thought you were coming to Easter this morning and we were going to start getting out poisonous serpents and, and letting them around the room, uh, you came to the wrong place. I mean, I, it's not a lack of faith on my part. I believe God gives you enough common sense to not be stupid. But anyway, if you want to handle snakes, do, help yourself to doing that. But there are snake handling churches out there. They tend to be uh, generally Pentecostal, more type churches in the Appalachian Mountains. In fact, Snake handling is outlawed in every state except for West Virginia. So, you know, uh, you just could come up with your own conclusions on that one. But I have a neighbor that keeps telling me, he says, Pastor, if you'll start handling snakes on stage, he said, I'll come to your church. <laughs> he knows I'm terrified of snakes, so there's that. We know that's not going to happen. But the reality is, is, what was Jesus talking about? He says, ultimately, Jesus Christ protects his own. He protects his servants as they go out in faith under the power of the Holy Spirit. He protects us as we preach the, word, the, the truth of the gospel. The perfect fulfillment of this prophet, of this promise, can be found in Acts chapter 28, 
The Apostle Paul was shipwrecked on the Isle of Malta. And they were building a fire on the beach. The, the word tells us a viper came out of the woods and bit Paul on the hand. And he shook it off into the fire. All of the natives were expecting him to swell up and die, but he didn't. Folks, God protects his own. You say, well, what about the missionaries that are killed on the foreign field? Those things do happen. Sometimes he's more glorified in our death than in our life. But folks, the reality this morning is God protects us as his servants. He watches. He lights our path. He guides us in the way that we should go. And when you go forward and tell the good news of the gospel, of the glorious resurrection, God will protect you as his servant. And folks, the Bible says our days are numbered. It's appointed under man once to die. Sometimes God gets more glory in our death than he does in our life. Dr. Martha Myers, as we conclude this morning, was a graduate of Robert E. Lee High School in Montgomery, Alabama. She graduated from Sanford University. She attended medical school after her residency. She went straight to the field as a Southern Baptist missionary to Yemen. For 22 years, she gave free medical care to women and children in Yemen, showing them the love of Jesus. In 2002, a man walked into the Baptist hospital carrying what looked to be a child wrapped in a blanket. But underneath, he had a rifle. He pulled it out and he shot four missionaries. Three of them died, of which one was Dr. Myers. When asked why he shot her, the gunman whose wife, Dr. Myers, had led to Christ reported, she was spreading the love of Jesus in my nation, and soon she would convert everyone. She had requested to be buried in Yemen, and on the day of her funeral, 40,000 Yemenis lined the streets. Thousands gathered at her burial. In a nation where being a Christian is punishable by death, Hundreds were singing, He is Lord, and praying the Lord's Prayer in Arabic. The believers in Yemen still talk about Dr. Myers, and reports still pour in of the power of the underground church in Yemen. I can attest this morning, he's alive. But I wonder, do you know him? Do you believe in him? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus the empty tomb proves he is alive. His appearance before many proves he is alive. The work of the Holy Spirit proves that he is alive this morning. I wonder, do you believe him? Do you know him personally? Has there been a, a time in your life that you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and believe what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary was for you and you alone? You see, it's not enough to just know about Jesus, have a head knowledge and believe that he was a good man or he was a prophet. In fact, there are many religions of this world that teach that Jesus was a good man, that he was a prophet. He did good deeds and, and healed the sick and the lame and the blind and raised people from the dead, but they don't believe he was the son of God. It's not enough just to believe he existed. We must personally have a relationship with Jesus. We must believe that he died on the cross for our sins. My mom, who is now today spending her second Easter in the presence of God in heaven, 
was in church her entire life as a young girl, growing up, even as a young adult, believed that Jesus died on the cross. She never knew that he died on the cross for her sin. She said, I never made it personal. I didn't believe it for myself. I believe he died. I believe he was buried. All of that, but I didn't know he did it for me, for my sins, to pay for my sins. Has there been a time in your life where you placed your faith in Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross and rising from the grave? If not, can I encourage you this morning, what he did in dying on the cross and rising from the, on the grave is all in vain if you don't receive him today. It's all in vain. The word of God says today is the day of salvation. Will you choose to follow him? Will you place your faith and trust in him? In fact, Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Consider for just a moment this morning, the thief on the cross, as Jesus was crucified on an old rugged cross between two thieves. The thief on the cross that Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He never got baptized. He never joined the church. He never read his Bible. He never shared his faith. He never gave a dime to the church. He didn't go out as a missionary proclaiming the good news. He placed his faith and trust in Jesus. And the word of God says, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I wonder, do you have a personal relationship? He simply believed Christ and he saved him. Every head bowed this morning, every eye closed. He's alive. But I wonder today, do you believe him? He's alive. But do you believe him? It's not enough just that he died. Church, he died and three days later, he rose victoriously from the grave. I wonder this morning, have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation?